0: Good morning. I have my Barry White voice on today because I caught a uh, caught a cold, so uh, my voice is going to be kind of all over the place. But uh, I'm glad you're here. If you're watching us, uh, joining us online, thank you for joining us. Um, I want to take a moment just to acknowledge the fathers and the grandfathers that are in the house and those that are watching, and I would like to take just a moment and pray for uh, those men. And let's just bow our heads and just pray. Father, we do thank you that we can call you Father and that you love us. Some of us have had good examples of fathers. Some of us have not. But I pray, Father, and I think that most of the people hearing my voice right now, uh, if they are a father, if they are a grandfather, if they are a stepdad, they want to be the best one that they can be. They want to be an example of love and commitment. They want to be an example of integrity. They want to be um, uh, somebody who is a leader, um, who leads by example, not just in word. And Father, I just pray for the dads, the grandfathers, the stepdads, those that are trying to be uh, an example, who are trying to love their wives and trying to love their kids and grandkids the way that, uh, that you love us. I think, Father, we live in a world today that that uh, downplays severely the role of fathers and grandfathers in our culture, and we are paying the price right now. Um, so, Father, I would pray that you would just help the dads here and the, the dads joining us online to uh, recommit themselves to be the fathers you've called them to be, to be the grandfathers you've called them to be. To the, to be the stepfathers they've called them to be. Father, if uh, some are hearing this and feeling as though that they've dropped the ball, that they'd pick it up and get back in the game. Um, Father, we need uh, to be uh, better men, and uh, we need to be the men that you've called us to be. So help us to step up and to do what you've called us to do. I just pray that it be a blessed, great day for all the dads here today and uh, those joining us online. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, Amen. So we are going through, um, starting a new series on the letters, and it's a ridiculous series. It, we should never do it; it's unadvisable. But we've never let that stop us, so we're going to do it. Um, so I want to get. I, I'm assuming that some of you are here, and you've been, you've know the Bible very well. You've 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 been you've read the Bible from cover to cover. You know it. There are some of you here that that don't know the Bible at all. You know there's gospels. You know there's a New Testament. You know there's an Old Testament, but you don't know a lot more than that. You know some of the stories, but you just don't know the Bible very well. And uh, this series is for both of that group, those groups, um, because what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a really important part of the New Testament. We call them the letters, but let me just back up for a minute because. The New Testament has three types of literature. First, it has what we call historical narrative. We call it history, but it's not like our history. we have the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hold the horse while I get on, right? Uh, so we have the four Gospels, and then we have the Book of Acts. Those are, those are historical, um, they tell a little bit about the history but they don't do it the way we do history, like in chronological order, you know, this date happened, this date happened. It doesn't do it that way. It's more theological history, all right? The Book of Acts is historical narrative too. So that's the first thing. You have historical narrative, then you have what we call the letters, or epistles, you may have heard epistles. You have a, a number of those books, and then you have the Book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic literature. Now, that the book of Revelation and, and the apocalyptic literature is probably the most difficult for the average person or even the trained person to understand because it's written in very symbolic language. And, and I still don't understand. This is just me talking.
1: I don't understand why Christians
0: are so enamored to the, one of the first books they want to study or continue to study is the book of Revelation. There's so many other books that are much more important, in a sense, for their daily lives and and to understand who God is and who Jesus is and what he wants of us. They should put their efforts there, Uh, but that's just me talking, all right? So you can dismiss that. All right, so we talked about the historical narrative, you know, the Gospels and Acts. We talked about the book of Revelation, and we talked about the epistles, the letters, all right? A number, most of those letters were written by the Apostle Paul, and uh, there there's um, 13 letters that Paul wrote. Now, some, some of you who have known the Bible and read it for years say, wait a minute, pastor, there's 14. Didn't he write Hebrews? Well, there's debate about that. Some people say he did. Some people say he didn't. I'm just throwing it out there that I'm just leaving Hebrews as a separate letter, Okay. You have the book of James, you have Peter, the Apostle, who wrote two letters, you have John, who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then you have Jude. Now, interesting, and some of you know this, but some of you don't know this, that Jesus had a couple of, he had brothers and sisters, and two of his brothers wrote these epistles, two of these epistles. Jude was one of them, and James. They were brothers of Jesus. They grew up with him. So that's just interesting to know that. So those are the letters we're going to study in the weeks to come. And it's ridiculous that we would take a letter a week because Romans itself has 16 chapters. It's like 16 chapters. There are some pastors that spend five years in the book of Romans alone. And I'm going to do it in 15 minutes. All right, good luck with that, Matt. All right, couple things. The other thing I want you to see is many of these letters are tied historically to the book of Acts. Like you'll read, many, Paul will write these letters from a city to another city, and he's writing to churches. So the book, for instance, the book of Romans. He wrote that from the city of Corinth. And you can read about that in Acts twenty. 20 verse 2, all right, that he's in Corinth and he wrote to the, the churches of Rome from the city of Corinth. You can read about that in the book of Acts. So a number of these books, we're going to try to hang them or tie them to the book of Acts because there were times where Paul is traveling and then he's writing letters to churches all over the Roman world. All right, so what was the purpose of the letters? Number one, he wanted the churches to grow in their faith. Two, he many times had to answer questions because they would have questions and he would answer them. This is very true when you get into First and Second Corinthians. They would have questions and Paul, as you're reading through the letter, you're going, what is he doing here? Well, he's answering questions that he's got and he'll say something now about this and what that means is they asked him about it so now he's answering it. And then sometimes what he does is he needs to clear up doctrine. The book of Galatians, Paul spends some time talking about this whole idea of doctrine. All right, so that's going on too. Um, One of the reasons we're doing this is there's so many important things that we get from the epistles theologically, our belief system. Like we learn about how God reveals himself. For instance, let me give you an example. In the first chapter of Romans, basically what Paul says is, God has revealed himself through nature. Now, you see a sunset, you see a sunrise, and you say there's an artist, there's a creator behind it. You can't help but look at it and say, or you look at some of the beautiful parts of the earth and you know the canyons and the mountains and the streams and the rivers and the lakes, and you say it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. There must be a creator behind it. That's Paul's point. Behind the creation is a creator so that men, are without, men and women are without excuse. But he not only says that, he says... But within us, our own conscience, there is a a knowing that there is more than us, that there is a God out there. We know that in our hearts. We have God's fingerprint on our hearts. And so that's Romans one. He talks about how God reveals himself to us. Um, we, We learn about Jesus, who he was, why he came, what he did. We learn about salvation. How are we saved? Why do we need to be saved? What is salvation? We learn about the church. How is the church composed? What is the church? Many of you grew up in a tradition where you went to church, meaning you went to a building, right? Well, Paul blows that all up. He says the church isn't a building. It's people. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. And and he talks in, in the epistles. We learn about elders and deacons and the roles within the church, the offices within the church. Um, we learn about end times. Paul says something to those who are grieving. They've lost loved ones. He says, don't grieve like those who have no hope. Grieving is a natural part of human life when you've lost, and some of you in last year have lost somebody close to you and you're grieving over that. Paul says it's perfectly okay to grieve, but don't grieve without hope that we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. He talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 4. He talks about the coming of the Lord and how that's going to be. So all those themes we find in the letters are really important. We get a lot of doctrine and a lot of beliefs from these letters, that's why we're studying them. Okay, that's a general overview of why we're studying the letters, where they fall into the New Testament, literarily and and how they fall in as far as the book of Acts and different things like that let's just talk for a minute about uh, Romans here okay Romans and Paul many scholars believe that the book of Romans may be the most important book that Paul ever wrote that it's an incredibly important book it has a tremendous amount of of, uh, information and theology and it's probably one of his greatest letters he probably, as I said, probably wrote it around A.D. Uh, 57. Um, and he wrote it to the church in, in, uh, the Greek, uh, while he was in the Greek city of, of, of Corinth. Now, you say, well, where did the church come from in Rome? Probably in Acts chapter 2, we see this day of Pentecost, right, where they gathered together and they spoke in different tongues. And it said that many were added to the church, 2,000 were added to the church in one day. Well, where did all these people end up going? Well, they ended up going back out into all over the Roman world. They went to Corinth, they went to Ephesus, they went to Galatia, they went to Philippi, they went to all these cities. And so uh, Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. There already was a church established there probably from people who came to faith in Jesus Christ through Peter and the other apostle sermon on Uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. That's probably where it began. Okay. The church at Rome was composed, and this is a theme you'll see in a lot of the letters, it's composed of both Jews and Gentiles, okay? And we take that for granted today as Christians. You need to know that most of the early churches began as Jewish communities. And then they said, okay, what are we gonna do with the Gentiles? In fact, you read through the whole book of Acts, that's a real problem. What are we going to do with the Gentiles? Do we just accept them in? Because they are like the outsiders. The Jews used to call Gentiles dogs. You got, you got bothered by my voice. I get you. Thank you. I was looking for my water. Somebody took it. Thank you. I don't know if that will help, but uh, it doesn't hurt. It's just troubling, isn't it? Anyway, so uh, when we think about the church, Jew and Gentile, it's very interesting to me because in Acts chapter 15, basically it came to a head and the church council, Paul was there, Peter was there, James was there, and they said, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? What are we going to do? Are they going to be part of the church? And if so, how are they going to be part of the church? Because there were a number of issues, and it really came down to three issues of tension that the Jews had with the Gentiles. The Sabbath day, keeping the Sabbath, and when was the Sabbath day? Number two, foods. What kind of foods could they eat? What was clean and what was unclean? If you were a Jew and you grew up as a Jewish boy or a Jewish girl, if you grew up in a Jewish family, there were certain foods you could not eat. You couldn't eat pork. You couldn't eat shellfish. There were certain foods you couldn't eat. So basically, in the book of Acts, Peter has a wrestling match with God one day because he's supposed to see this Gentile. And basically, Peter has this dream about God's lowering these unclean you know, foods down. And he keeps telling Peter, eat, eat. And Peter goes, no, it's unclean. And he finally says, God says to Peter, what God is called clean, Do not call unclean. In other words, he's saying things are changing. So, Sabbath, food, and then the last one was circumcision. Do the Gentiles need to be circumcised to be part of the church? That was the debate, and that's, you can read about that in Acts 15. Do the Gentiles need to be circumcised to be part of the church? Some of the Jews said yes, but the council, the church council, Peter and James and and the others gathered together and they they basically said no they come by grace through faith in christ they don't have to be circumcised so it was a so it's a, what you understand is there's a transformation going on there's a cultural and historical transformation going on and paul talks about it in the book of romans because now for the first time we have jews and gentiles worshiping together in this new community And we go, okay, so what does that look like? How's it going to be? What are the rules? And the Jews like to impose their rules on the Gentiles. And they had to work through that. Paul was instrumental in guiding them through all of that. All right? All right. So um, Paul's goal for the church at Rome was, when he wrote this letter, was that they would grow strong that they could be kind of a launching place so that the rest of the Roman world could be reached with the gospel. That was his, his desire. And he had often wanted to travel to Rome to help them in that process. In the book of Romans, Paul writes the fullest explanation of the gospel that we have, the good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And if I were to say there's a key verse, it would be Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Uh, Let me take a drink of water and then let me read that to you because I think that does help a little bit. This is a key verse in the book of Romans Romans 1 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Okay, so one of the things you'll see, especially in Paul's letters, is you'll see kind of this outline. I call it lab, or lecture versus lab, or lecture lab. In the first part, Paul will generally write doctrine or teaching. He'll teach, what should you believe? In the second part, he'll say, now, because of what I just taught you, this is how you should live. And you'll see, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, those letters, you'll see that kind of division. And if if you read the book of Romans, Romans 1 through 11, Paul teaches doctrine. When you pick up chapter 12, verse 16, Paul is talking life. So he's basically saying, believe all of this, now go out and do all of this. Now here's what I found. If you're watching online, this is what I found. Christians like, they like doctrine. They like to talk about teaching. But they don't like to take what they've learned and apply it to their lives. They don't like the lab. They like the lecture, they don't like the lab. And basically, Paul said, if, I, if, if this is true, and it is, if he teaches the, the lecture, then, then your life should do this. And he always had application for your life. He always, Paul was always saying, what's your next step? What is it that God wants you to do with this information? Because if you just take the information in and don't do anything with it, so what? Right? Right? All right. Let me give you an outline for the book of uh, Romans, chapters one through four. God reveals um, himself. Uh, God's uh, the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Chapters five through eight, the gospel creates this new community between Jews and Gentiles. They're now brought together. There's this new community. Okay. Chapters nine through eleven, the gospel fulfills the promise to Israel. So, in the middle of all this, basically, Paul comes to a place where he goes. Some of the Jews were saying, so what about the Jews? What about the promises of the Old Testament? Has God forgotten us? And Paul says, no, in fact, he, this is all the fulfillment of what God was planning to do to bring these two groups together. This was part of the master plan. He's not, he's not chucking the plan. He's fulfilling the plan. And in chapters um, 12, 16, 12 through 16, Um, the gospel unites the church. And this is where Paul gets into the real nuts and bolts and he basically says, here's how you Jews and Gentiles need to live together. Now, I just want to stop for a minute. We have a lot of things in our culture today that divide us. There are subjects that I call the third rail that I can't even talk about as a pastor because you'll get mad, you'll write me a mean email, you'll come up and get in my face, you'll be mad at me, you'll leave the church, because I can't even mention these things. I can't even begin to talk about it because you'll jump to conclusions. And the same was true in the early days. They had trouble and they had issues. And basically, Paul said, you have to decide whether you're gonna humble yourself and you're gonna hear the other person and you're gonna work through these differences and become the church that God designed you to be. I wanna tell you something. Over the last few couple years, through the COVID and all the other things. I have never seen the church act more. We had so many opportunities to be such a, 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 um, a witness to the world of how we can over, overlook a lot of things and how we could come together. But we got divided over the stupidest things, didn't we? Stupidest things. People got mad because we closed. People got mad because we made people. We never made people wear masks. People got mad over everything. The same was true in the early church. In chapters 12 through 16, Paul's basically going through and saying, listen, humble yourselves. Come together. Be the community that God's called you to be. We had an opportunity to be such a witness to the world, and I think we missed it. We were so judgmental of each other and of the world around us. Um, Just me preaching another sermon within a sermon. I don't have time to do it key theme, here's the key theme of the whole book, the just shall live by faith. We read that passage, the just shall live by faith. This was the phrase that was the beginning of the Protestant Reformation in in, uh, Martin Luther. He read this passage and he said, the just shall live by faith, and it transformed his life and it transformed the church.
1: This is the reason why we have
0: Protestant churches and Catholic churches because of this passage right here Um, the passage we're going to look at is uh, is romans 3 21 through 26 and um, as i was preparing for this message i was reading through some of the commentaries and some of the commentaries have said this is the most important passage of scripture in the bible in the bible not just in the letters but in the uh, not just in the new testament but in the bible So it's a pretty important passage. Let me give you some quick context, then we'll get into it. Um, Chapter one, as I said before, Paul basically says that God has revealed himself through nature. And what has happened is that men and women basically have this revelation, this information, that God has shown himself through creation. And instead of worshiping God, instead of opening their hearts to God, they basically started worshiping idols.
1: And there's a very sad
0: statement in that, chapter 1. It says that God gave them over. In other words, God let them go their way. God let them walk away. Here's something that Paul says that is so chilling to me. Paul says that if you are hell-bent to walk away from him, he will let you. In the gospel... There's that night where Jesus celebrated the Last Supper. Remember that? And all the disciples were there, and Jesus offers them bread and then a cup. And then Judas is there. And Judas goes out. Judas leaves the table. And the gospel writers, two of the gospel writers say, and it was night. They're not telling you that it's dark out. That's not the point. They're saying, that Judas chose darkness. That Judas, Jesus was doing everything he could at the meal to say to, Jesus was doing everything he could at the meal to say to Judas, you don't have to do this. But Judas was hell-bent on betraying Jesus. And the writer said, when Judas walked out that door, it was night. Paul says in Romans 1, that if you if you determine you're going to walk away from god he will let you go and it is going to be a whirlwind of pain and trouble and and he begins to describe it and it's awful it's not good and so the point of chapter one is god has revealed himself and the gentiles heard it and they rejected it in chapter two he basically says, and God revealed himself to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people had the law, and they rejected it. So, what do we do? Chapter 3 is the answer. Basically, that the Jews, the Jews rejected the gospel, the Gentiles rejected the gospel, and so God comes in in chapter 3, and he brings the good news. And, and this is where we're going to jump. Jump down to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. He says this, but now apart from the law of righteousness of God, the, the, excuse me, let me try that again, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law of the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely. By his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus or Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness and to present at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. All right. So now I have about four minutes to do the message. Okay, here we go. See if I could do it. Three lessons we learned from this passage. Number one, God's perfect standard is unreachable. Basically what Paul says here, that it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew and you have the law or a Gentile without the law. You both have revelation, but you both reject it. You all fall short. One of the biggest roadblocks to our salvation is that we don't think we're that bad, that we have a problem seeing our utter lostness uh, before God, uh, that we need a Savior. Some of us have watched our children struggle trying to do something, and we watch them when we know they're never going to be able to do this. So you kind of go, can I help you? And they go, no, I want to do it by myself. And you go, they're never going to be able to do it, right? same is true for our salvation. Um, all of our righteous efforts fall uh, woefully short. Let's just say that we decided that we are going to have a competition, and we're in uh, San Diego, California, on the beach, and we decided we're going to have a competition to see who can long jump to Hawaii. The first, wo- the first person is Grandma, and she's got her walker, and she can't even get off the ground. So it's like, yep. She can't even get in the water, basically, okay? So that's not happening. All right, so we have little Joey. Little Joey's nine years old. Little Joey gives his best run. He jumps. He goes six feet. Good for little Joey. Lands in the water, far short from Hawaii. Ah, but we have Mary. Mary is is a, a, a senior in high school, and she's a log jumper. She jumps, and she goes 15 feet. Good jump, Mary. Farther than Grandma, farther than Joey but you're still short. Uh, The next person we get is uh, a world record holder. He holds the world record for the long jump. And he starts running, and he runs down the sand, and he runs down, and he takes off, and he jumps 50 feet. Now, most of you know that the world record for the long jump is woefully short of 50 feet. But he sets a new world record, 50 feet! but he's still not in Hawaii, is he? That's Paul's point. But you know, here's the problem. There are a lot of people this weekend that are attending church, they're trying to do all the right things because they think they can long jump to Hawaii. They think they can be made righteous before God, and they all fall short. That's Paul's point. No matter what we do, we all fall short. So, the first thing you need to do is see your desperate need of a Savior. Secondly, God's only Savior is universal. The way of salvation is by faith, not by works. Uh, The cry of the Reformation, uh, the Protestant Reformation, was the just shall live by faith. Uh, Many people are trying to build what I call a resume of righteousness. Now, what do I mean by a resume of righteousness? I think there's a lot of people out there today that if you were to, let's just say this, let's say that you were to meet Jesus, let's say you were to die today. That's a bright thought, isn't it? You die, but you drop dead, you go to heaven, and you're, you know, you're met at the gates of heaven with Jesus, meet you at the gate of heaven, and he says to you one question, why should I let you into heaven? You say, well, I, I believe in you, especially now, because I see you right here with the gates of heaven, so that's really convincing to me now. So I believe in you, right? And I, I go to church, you know, again, to go to church and be in the church, those are two different concepts, but all right, we understand what you're saying. Uh, I don't go very often, but I go, okay? And I give sometimes, my money sometimes, and sometimes I even serve. And i'm not perfect but i think i'm better than the average and i think you bet you great on an average so therefore i think you're okay and we expect jesus to look at our resume and go oh good good. hey well, could have improved here a little bit come here come on in of course you're in do you know how many people are doing that on the weekend because they've been raised in a tradition where you you go to a serv- you're supposed to go to a certain amount of services and Believe certain things and, and follow a certain pattern. And if you do all those things, that God will let you into heaven. Paul says it's baloney. We all fall short. Because the real question is in all of your resume, where's Jesus? Oh, that's right. Jesus has got to be in there somewhere, doesn't he? Yes, he does the only answer you could give at the gate of heaven is this. I don't deserve to be in heaven. I never could and never would. I am a sinner, and I, without without your death, burial, and resurrection on my behalf, you taking my sin, I have no way at all because I was drowning, and I was hopeless and helpless, but you came and you gave your life so that I could live. I come on the blood of Jesus Christ. I come because of you and not because of me. That's the only answer. But there's a lot of people. If you were to do a survey, a lot of people would, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, and they never mention Jesus. So the question is, where's your faith? Jesus says it's a narrow road and fewer are on it. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Paul said in our passage, I don't know if you picked it up. He says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's given. He says, We all fall short of God's glory and are justified freely by his grace, by the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. It's not by ourselves. It's not by what we do or have done. It's by what Christ has done for us. It's a very minor point, but it's major, and Paul is making it. So let me ask you a question. Is your faith in Jesus showing? Somebody has said, and I think it's true, that we're saved by faith alone, but faith is never, true saving faith is never alone. Your life, your words... Your who you are is either showing you are one of his followers or you're not one of his followers. If you're trusting in him, your faith will show the signs of life. Here's the last point. God's salvation is unbelievable. The question is, if well, if we can't save ourselves, this is the argument. If we can't save ourselves, the law can't save us, Jew. If, if being good can't save us, Gentile. If if we can't save ourselves, then how do we get saved? Well, God sent his son to become our savior. He sacrificed his life for us, took our sins away on the cross, the innocent for the guilty. God overlooked our sins until Jesus came when he went to Calvary and paid the price for our sins. And Paul makes the point that God is just and the one who justifies us. Now, most world religions begin with man reaching to God, trying to do enough, trying to live a good enough life to be good enough to to build this resume to be acceptable to God. Christianity is the only religion. And I mean true Christianity because there's fake Christianity. There's there's religion Christianity where we're try, people are trying to earn their own salvation. But true biblical crea- uh, Christianity is this, that That God reaches down to us that we are helpless and hopeless. And he knew that and he sent his Savior to give his life so that we could live. To take our sins so that we could be forgiven. And only when we place our faith in him will we find salvation. You can understand why some people have said this may be the most important chapter ever written in the Bible. Until we see our desperate need, we'll never call out to our Savior. And so my question as we close our time is this. Has there ever been a time, has there ever been a day where you called out to Jesus? You said, Jesus, you're my only hope. I'm a sinner and I need you as a Savior. I I know I can't save myself. I know I fall woefully short. But I put my trust in you. You gave your life to me. Now I give my life to you. Do you remember, Now I'll close with this story, do you remember uh, Jesus, when he was being crucified, there were two criminals, one on either side of him? And it's, it, the gospels kind of give the impression that they were kind of both chiding Jesus, making fun of him, but then one of them had a turn of heart, change of heart. And he goes to Jesus, and he fi- finally says to Jesus, probably within minutes of dying, and he says to Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, Will you remember me? And Jesus said, what church do you belong to? Have you been baptized? Because what are we here today? Have you been baptized? Are you a member of a church? No. He wasn't a member of a church. There was no church. He wasn't baptized. What did he do? He did exactly what Jesus wants you to do today. He put his faith in Jesus. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. The just shall live by faith in Jesus. Paul says, This is what the Roman world needed to hear. This is what we need to hear. This is what people tuning in, watching online, need to hear. That you, until you come to that place where you realize you're lost, that God sent his son to save you, to give his life so that you could live, until you come to that place where you see your need, you'll never cry out for a savior. But the good news is, when you cry out to Jesus, he will save you. He will give you new life. And he will make you into what you he designed you to be in the first place. That's what Romans is telling us today. Would you pray with me as we close? Thank you, Father, for your word and the encouragement we get. Thank you for Paul and the good message that he has given us today. I pray that, Father, we would take something from this. And then we would do our next step, whatever that is. Uh, Father, maybe it's trusting Jesus as our Savior. That's our next step. Maybe it's um, understanding that uh, there is a world out there that needs to hear the true gospel. And we have opportunities to share that with our friends and neighbors and family members. But Father, help us to take whatever step we need to take uh, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.